one band. It's just more about whatever role we play, right? And so, so we played one show and, and Christian took a Sharpie marker and drew it on my face. And it's like, you were the professor and you invented the Aquabats. So then I would come into the shows with my lab coat and my, and I would tell the story of this, oh, these eight or nine men, they, they came and I gave them superpowers and now they're going to save the world. And then I would run off stage and I, and I would change into a dancing chicken costume. And then I would throw out chicken and, and, and then run off stage and then I would put on Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Parker Jacobs. Parker, thanks for making time. Well, I, I'm so glad to be here, Jess. It's awesome. <laughs> so I I think I've been trying to book you for like a year. But, you know, with the important people, it's hard to get them. So, you know, I guess I just got to be patient, right? Yeah, I'm so busy. I have all of these, you know, projects. And, you know, we've always been – I've been wanting to have this podcast with you for so long. And, and, and finally, the stars have aligned, and now we're able to talk. So <laughs> I'm stoked. Well, you've done so many things. Let's just start with a few of them. Why don't we start sure. with how you how you ended up becoming such a big shot for the fashion brand, and and then let's go on to how you made the uh, big part of the award winning television show, and we'll go from there. Oh man, it's just it's just been a weird, just creative process, right? Okay, so we can talk about working at Paul Frank Industries, which was really great. I mean, they're a, a a kind of a deal in the 90s and the early 2000s and that was really fun being a designer for him because we made so much of everything and it had this fun uh cute whimsical style that was kind of up my alley and what was also cool was coming up with an idea and then later seeing it come to fruition and then going oh i just that idea just made us two million dollars and seeing the numbers on that, that was that was also a lot of fun too. But can, yeah, can I, you talk about you know for, for people that don't understand what a phenomenon it was when like Cameron Diaz and these movie stars started getting like candid shots with his stuff and people were clamoring like what is that? Where do I get that? Can you talk about like kind of what a cultural phenomenon it became for a while? It it was huge. It was huge. And and I remember our our. Our, what do you call it? our publicity guys were more like turning people down. You know, you usually your hookup guy usually is all about like trying to get it into the right hands and stuff. But but we were we were rock stars in a, in a lot of ways in the, in the design world. And you'd have all these famous people like waft into our 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 office and. And it was like, oh, cool, Zoe Deschanel, like, or Elijah Wood. That was the first time I met Elijah Wood. Was 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 there coming in to try to try to get some stuff? But but as I was saying, they were more about turning people down. Like the people, like the people from Friends, they wanted to get a, a purse that I had designed, and they're like, no, nah, you can go buy it yourself. And I was like, wow, I guess maybe that's the exclusivity thing, which I don't understand all that well. Is it was more about who they said no to and then made people go, Oh, that's, this is important. It's a, it's a club I can't get in on, but you know, my job primarily is just bringing, bringing the design and the fun of it. So. Well, and, um, and these characters that you drew are so fun that 
you you know it, it really is a magnetic thing i mean i remember um by the way do you realize it was like we started hanging out like 18 years ago does that seem yeah, does that seem possible that. no That's, it doesn't like, I, I i could do eight but like eight's fine i could I, okay that was a long time ago yeah. but 18 which is the truth do you know it's probably the last time I saw you in person. That's funny. You know, I feel like I keep track on you because of, of uh, Johnny B, you know, and I'm always like, oh, what's yeah. Parker up to? How's that? But, you know, I think about all those years ago, we were both living in Huntington Beach, newlyweds. And I remember when I got to come on tour at Paul Frank, and I was so impressed with the way you guys approach collaborations. I mean, you're making stuff with the Elvis estate and nerve bicycles and Robert August surfboards and Barbies. And I mean, like you guys really uh, talk about spreading the word. You, you did something that not a lot of other brands have been able to do. I mean, maybe Supreme these days, right? Yeah. And through that, through our collaborations, we were able to launch brands too. Like the people that we were collaborating with were like, Oh, I see some magic here and I'm going to take this and, and turn it into something else. Like for example, Obey, like with the, Parker, we did, with, with the, Shepherd Ferry. With Shepherd Ferry, yeah, we did um, some wallets and some purses and some T-shirts together. And they're like, oh, well, we can make this a brand. And I don't know, we launched something like twenty brands that came out of our collaborations. And I love doing collaborations. That was kind of one of my favorite things that we did there. Was yeah, working with the Elvis Presley estate or with John Deere tractors and or so many different uh, people uh, working with the the Wienermobile at Oscar Mayer. <laughs> and what I loved doing was taking their brand and serving it back to them, taking the really cool things that I liked about their history and throwing it back at them and pr presenting it to them in a new light. And them going, "Oh, this is great!" And then we made a million dollars. Thank you. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know. it was fun. It was that was a great thing to be able to do that. Who were some of the other major collaborations that that you were a part of? We did a thing with Tina Bassage and, and Sims. We did a thing with Sims oh, Snowboards for everybody Sims who isn't a total yeah. nerd. I think me and every one of my friends as teenage boys in the '90s had a crush on her. By the way, oh really? Oh okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I designed four snowboards of hers and with with you know Paul's characters and everything and, and gosh. Elvis Presley Estate, so many different bands, and I think, and that that kind of also that kind of collaboration mentality is kind of uh, it easily translated to GABA stuff. Once well, we did Yo GABA GABA, that's kind of it was just the next phase. Yeah, and can you and maybe let's talk a little bit about. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, acting as a kid and the Aquabats and your band. Go Go 13 and how all of that stuff kind of played together with what you'd done at Paul Frank heading into Yo Gabba Gabba. So we're taking it back to acting. Yeah. I, I grew up as a child actor. My, my sister and my brother and I, my younger brother and my younger sister. Oh my gosh. We were all, we all supported our family as kids in the eighties acting. And it wasn't one of those things that we did to be famous or even to get rich. It, it was what we were doing to support our family in order to move back to Utah. <laughs> that was the idea. So we knew from the get-go that this was just our family business, and this is what, what we're doing. And we knew other, other kid actors in the 80s had a lot of problems with this. Kids that we, we had worked with, Corey Feldman, Noah Hathaway, Terry <laughs> Coleman. 
you know they all had these problems yeah. where they sued their parents and they're you know like they, they had these falling out with their parents because their parents were ripping them off and we just knew that from the get-go <laughs> that was that was our that was our mo we were like we're working to to put food in our mouths we're not trying to get famous we're not trying to do anything so basically it was just sharing our love we're just just being kids just trying to and share a light or whatever i'm trying to think what what were the shows that were like the big shows then like the wonder years or what what was what was going on then the wonder years I, yeah i i did a slew of episodes of the wonder years which was a lot of fun but that was kind of like the that was like i thought that was when my career was taking off i was a teenager but that was kind of like you're done <laughs> see ya <laughs> but you know growing up i did we did tv shows like the love boat and and the jeffersons i was on the jeffersons my bro- both my brother and sister were on the love boat it shows like uh silver spoons you know growing pains you know all of those kind of tv sitcoms and we did commercials and things like that but again we never really hit it as big we'd all we've done countless commercials as a family countless and in, in movies and in, in, in tv shows but we never really got famous per se and there got to be a point where that was kind of our goal our goal was to kind of like just keep steady work and and not <laughs> like hit it too hard well you know? what i'm interested in is from that, how do you feel like that helped you with, you know, with your brother Christian starting Aquabats and all the stuff you did there and starting your own bands? How do you feel like that played into that? Well, it was just it was just part of it. I mean, like it was being a child actor was was just about showing up and being there for fun and showing I, I not really show off showing off but just performing, presenting who you are and and, and kind of being rewarded for that. And so so then, yeah, we I, we started getting into ska music, and and we did uh, Go Go Thirteen. We you know we did Go Go Thirteen before the Aquabats. I don't know if you knew that. No. But we but yeah, that, we started that, and actually the Aquabats used our demo tape to get shows. And when, <laughs> when we broke up and and we went on missions and stuff like that, the Aquabats used, we had shows that were booked like big shows there was a festival that was it was our show and the acrobats just took it they're like oh we're the reformed gogo 13 and so then when i came back to get back in the mix the acrobats had already taken off and were already thing well you know? and can you for, for again for people who aren't in that subculture can you right. can you i mean i heard about acrobats for years up in canada you guys are in southern california and i'm hearing about you as like a skater kid in in Western Canada, right? And then my college years, you were everywhere. Can you, can you tell people like within that, you know, there's some people probably don't even know what ska music is, but you can, sure. t- yeah. you know, what's the difference between punk and ska? And can you talk about like how Aquabats like broke the mold and created like a cult? Yeah, they kind of did. They kind of did. Well, yeah. Where do you start from there? That was just, there was this, that, that point in my, in my teenage years when, Music was kind of our our release and going to punk shows and, and uh, you know, alternative shows. I think it was one of those things when I had finally, I went to a straight edge show and I went there and everybody was dressed like me. And I thought I was so alternative and unique. I did not want to go there. I didn't want everybody to look like me. Then I decided to zigzag and I, that, and then I started getting into ska music and which I was all, 
already all my favorite elements of music I was grown up that I had thought was new wave, like my favorite bands were ska bands. And I didn't know that. So w- once I made that connection, I grew up bands I liked were Oingo Boingo. I wouldn't say a ska band, but they were a punk band with, with a horn section that was inspired by ska. Bands like Fishbone, bands like Madness, The English Beat. I'd watched all of these videos as we were little kids. And then when I made the connection, oh, The Untouchables. I just, I loved, I loved it all. And it was just like, this is my favorite thing. And then my younger brother decided when we had lived, when we had moved to St. George that he wanted to start a band. And I was like, whoa, 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 you're not a musician, dude. What are you, what are you doing? And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it with you. Okay. And then, and we'll, we'll, we'll do this. But if we're doing this, we're really going to do it. And we did. And this was like, we were high school kids. I was just out of high school or I would have been high school age, but I had tested out early because of my acting career that was going to take off that didn't which which is that's okay and 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 then you know it was actually christian had come and visited us at one of our your older brother christian my older brother christian yeah and it was it was at a gogo 13 band practice when i came up with the name of the aquabats and and i was really surprised to find out that he i was living in utah for a short time with tyler and we were doing our thing that he was in California and he had started the Aquabats and that became a whole other thing, you know, altogether, even though it, it was in that ska world, it was in the same world of people that thought the well, way we did. And for people who don't know, like what, like a cult Aquabats became of like dressing up and like that, you know, it was like, can you talk about like why an Aquabat show was so different? And then let's talk about how that influenced Yo Gabba Gabba. Sure. Okay. So the Aquabats, well, I, th- I guess it was, like one of the ideas be- behind the Aquabats was Christian wanted to do a gimmick band, like a, like Spike Jones and the city slickers with everybody doing all these different stuff. He wa- it was supposed to be a, a gimmick, a gag. And it, it's, it's like one of those gimmicks where he painted himself into a corner. Boyd Terry, the trumpet player, his brother owned a wetsuit company and they were all about custom designing wetsuits. Is that Alita? And Alita wetsuit. That was right? my first yeah. wetsuit ever. When I so, moved yeah. down there to HB. Yeah. So you go to, you go to HB and, and at Alita wetsuits and they custom fit a, a wetsuit to you. I mean, you can buy them stock, but most of the time that was their, their bread and butter was doing custom stuff. So Boyd was one of those guys and, and his brother, Jared also did that where they custom uh, designed uh, neoprene. And so what they did was they made these wonky hats that uh, they look like uh, they're these silver hats with the Roman soldier side pieces. That, that, and the Aquabats, we had it like, it was one of those things that they were just wearing stupid stuff. At first they were wearing Hawaiian shirts and then they were wearing these dumb hats. And, and uh, but it was one of those things that it had to have a story. There had to be a story that came from that. And so, and yeah, they also had rash guards from Alita that had a circle A on it. That A wasn't for Aquabats, that A was for Alita. That was their logo right but they look like superheroes it looked like captain america or something like that it was a a star with an a on it it was like the fantastic four or or captain america so so it was one of those things that i was playing shows in 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 saint george i come down and see my brother's band and we had to tell the story people are like why are you wearing these are you devo or something like that and they were they were crazy devo fans so it made sense but that was when i, I was like i would get into folklore and just be, like throw out the lore out there like, yeah but oh. it's almost like it was almost yeah. like a pl- you know the way i understand it it's almost like a play is happening during the middle of a concert 
right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It started with us saying like we're yeah we're from the the island, the ancient lost continent of Aquabania, and we're here to take over the world so that we can go back and save our you know our our family from the clutches of Space Monster M, which was. <laughs> christian's first band where they he wore a wrestling mask with m on it anyways but but yeah so then what we did was we made each performance each show was like a like a different episode of a of a of a series and that was kind of my role having been with my own band and being able to sing with my own band it's just more about whatever role we play right and so so we played one show and and christian took a sharpie marker and drew it on my face and it's like you are the professor and you invented the aquabats so then i would come into the shows with my lab coat and my and i would tell the story of this oh, these eight or nine men they they came and i gave them superpowers and now they're going to save the world and then i would run off stage and I, and i would change into a dancing chicken costume and then I would throw out chicken and, and, and then run off stage. And then I would put on an asbestos suit or a wrestling mask and I would fight the band. And, and then okay. they would throw so them in the audience and beat me up. And then, you know, yeah, I went, the, you know, I went to lots of punk gigs in the nineties and I went to like, you know, big concerts with silver chair and hole and, you know, big bands. Right. Sure. That was not happening on those stages. Right. Right. And, you know, I think about, both at Paul Frank and, and stuff like this. And what an advantage to do, to be the only one doing something because if people like it, you like have a monopoly. Right. I, I guess so. You know, that was what was cool about the Aquabats is it was kind of punker than punk, man. I, I had, I had been to shows mud honey with Sonic youth and, and Kurt Cobain, you know, and getting beat up in the pit and stuff, but nothing beat some of these, these Aquabat shows where we were setting the stage on fire and, you know, people getting, <laughs> like, their faces punched. And it was just crazy, crazy times. Okay. And that's what I did. So I was the guy that got set on fire. That was basically my thing. So, <laughs> but, like, but even at Paul Frank, I look at this and it's like, you know, it was like such an it fashion brand. But it did not look like Gucci and Fendi and, you know, no. Dior. It was like, you guys were going such a different direction. But... Again, you, and, you and, had these yeah, like intense fans for it. What were you saying? Yeah, and also we were our our kind of our niche was action sports. That was the only people we kind of rolled with, but we weren't action sports at all, you know. And at the time, that was the market. You know, it was it was those brands, the, the Billabongs and and the Hurleys, pre Hurley, O'Neill, TNC, Surf Design. But yeah, and then we also and then all of a sudden, movie stars want your stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then we were also doing handbags and purses. Yeah. And, and famous people wearing so, our stuff. And it's so, so, funny. so many more people will be familiar with with the show Yo Gabba Gabba than those previous things. Which you know, look at these collaborations with Van Shoes and and the huge stuff. Can you give some of the numbers of of Yo Gabba Gabba? Do you remember any stats? What do you mean, like how much money it's probably brought in? <laughs> oh, sure. Or how many shows you did, or what? Like, oh, we and did. we should just start with anybody who didn't have kids or wasn't watching Nickelodeon. This is a super famous TV show that became like a cultural phenomenon that kids way too old to watch it would watch. Well, what made it a cultural phenomenon, I think, was how many, the kind of people we brought in. Having spent so many years in the music industry and the fashion industry, because 
you know, Paul Frank and the Alcabats bridged the gap of both, was we were able to bring these people in here. And I, I remember this meme that was going around about how how there were so many different bands that we had on Yo Gabba Gabba and that MTV didn't have any of those bands on MTV. And it was kind of like we took that and put it put it where we wanted it for preschool kids, which was so fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because it's like, not that there haven't been stars on Sesame Street for decades, right? But you right, guys were yeah. just like, you guys were just such a party. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I remember when you'd get Jack Black or some of these people on and like, there is this like aspect of like, well, what's he doing on a kid's show? Well, Jack Black, you can actually see <laughs> Jack Black could have been an right. ambassador for your brand actually. But, but when you think of it, <laughs> well, and, and give us some names, tell, tell us some of the so tell some of your favorite people or favorite bands that you guys had on over over the years. Sure. Jack Black's, Black's a great example of that. I mean, the fact that he called us, his wife called us and asked us if they could be on the show. And we're like, yes, you can do whatever you want. You know, his wife's in, she's a, a, a singer and an animator in her own right. So she did the animation segment on the show and, and Jack did it. I mean, and we didn't. I don't think we gave him so much of a superstar salary for doing it, but he he did, he was on the show because he wanted to be on it because it was cool. And uh, yeah, same thing with Elijah Wood. We had him on the show, and we had gosh, so many people. It's really hard to say. You know, we had Weezer was on our was on our show. And we had the Shins, Devo, so many bands. Here, I'm gonna I look know. up a list for I'm gonna look up a list for for part two of the interview, and we'll we'll have a list ready to go. But when you think about yeah. really like kind of what a runaway success for for a kids show. To become a phenomenon that college kids are watching and everybody is watching. What do you attribute that to? I think it's because, I don't know, man. It's one of those those things that it came from our heart. We, we weren't scientists. We weren't executives. We were dads that had a, ba- a background in visual things as far as the fashion industry and had a background in music. Most all of us were involved in the creation of the show had our own bands and had connections in bands and had connections in music. So it was one of those things where it was like, we, what do we want to give to our children? As opposed to what do kids want to buy? You know what I mean? Or what, what are the parents, you know, we weren't doing that. So it was, it's kind of our love letter. It's kind of our gift that we were giving. And it was something that we wanted to be able to sit through ourselves as opposed to the shows at the time we had Barney and the Wiggles which are great in their own right, but they didn't, they didn't appeal to the parents. It kind of drove us all crazy, you know? So it's uh, like Pixar yeah. where the parents know they're going to have to sit through it a few times. Like I'm so much more likely to have bought a Pixar movie for my kids than pretty much anybody else who was making movies at the time. My kids were young because I know I'm going to have to sit through it a bunch of times or it's going to be playing in the minivan or the right. Exactly. We were not trying to irritate people. <laughs> we were trying to do the exact opposite. What would we like? What would we like to see out there? And you know, it, it connected. It was kind of a perfect storm to be able to, to do that. And Man, how how great it was. And to see the collaboration of the people that we had on there, like Biz Marquis, who was, he was, uh, I like in every episode, we had Biz's Beat of the Day. And we had him on as a guest and from our pilot. We wanted him from the beginning. Christian and Scott wanted him they, from the beginning. But as we just filmed him, he was like, when, I, when this show goes to show, we're going to do a thing called Biz's Beat of the Day. We're like, okay, what? Or sure. Well, we got some time right now. Why don't you just do what you want? To, what you're saying you want to do? And he's like, 
Okay, kids, we're going to do a thing called business beat of the day. Here we go. Now you try. And it was one of those things where we're like, oh, what are you doing right now? And it was so rad. And then did this thing, bye-bye. And he did this like spin twirl thing as if he knew that we were going to make him disappear and zip out of the... But that he made that up. Okay, you got this. And and we did that every episode. And then when Gabba Live hit and it became a touring show, I mean, it toured all through the states. It, it record break record breaking sales at Carnegie Hall or no, or was it Radio City Music Hall? Radio City in, in New York and in, in Australia. Biz was he was on that tour, and it was crazy. And I was there. I was part of it, but. When it showed him on the screen, and then he the door opens, and then it's actually Biz comes out on stage. It blew me away. I was surprised as I yeah I knew he was gonna be there, but I didn't know he was gonna be there. It was like a, it was a surprise as it was completely new. So it was man, it was so amazing working on Gabba. And um, and you know I'm sure it's like Aquabats or other things where you just you pick up and do what needs to get done. But was your main role like designing the characters, making costumes? Like, what were you? What were some of the main things you were doing for the show? Um, well, when when the show started, I mean, I was I was there from the beginning on the original when we were concepting it. So I was drawing the characters, and that was really difficult because I drew them, and when when we pitch them, they thought it was an animated show. They're like, no, 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 they walk around costumes. So we had to make the show itself in order for. And to get it, so so first my 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 role was animation art director. I think that was my title. But what I would do every morning was I would I get on my I would you know check my email, and then I would zip to the character design department, and they're building puppets and stuff. And I would give them my notes, and then I'd zip to the prop design and say, okay, what do you want me to do? And I and I would design whatever props, and I would zip over to to the stage, and we we're building stages. Our last. Our last season, I designed 13 sets, and then I would go back and I would animate, or, and I would do animation. And when we weren't in season, I was designing the logos and the merchandises and the t-shirts. So I was, I, I think I wore the most hats as far as different roles, because I also wrote music for the show. I wrote segments for the show, but I, I'm not, I was not considered or billed as a, a creator of the show, but I also, I was a dancing character in a couple of things, and I did voices for stuff. And so I'm definitely in kind of, all of it. It's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's a uh, <laughs> I'm just looking on the source of all light knowledge here on Wikipedia, and it says oh. that you were getting nominated for Emmys for costume design and styling. Yeah, that thing needs to be updated. I got six, six at least Emmy nominations for GABA, but it was like set design, animation, Muppet design. They called it puppet or Muppet design, and 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 costume design. So I, I had my my hands in kind of everything. Yeah, uh, on the show, and it was so great. Well, I think um, it's a good place to end for part one of the interview here. Maybe to end with, we'll start two questions. One, what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received, or what's a piece of advice you'd go back and give a younger version of yourself? Let's start there, and then I'll ask my last question. Okay, there's a quote from Calvin Coolidge. Can I can I read it? This is this is it, man. Nothing in this world takes uh, can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Nothing is more, com I'm repeating it. Nothing is more common 
than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. And that's what it was. When I was a little kid, this is my advice to me as a little kid, I would get jobs thinking it was because I was so cute, you know, uh, or I was, you know, I had this talent. And my success as a young person, I thought it was my talent as an artist. But really, it was my persistence. I was part of that those acting kids that were every day I was on a call. Every day I was on an audition. And that was really where our success came from, was just, just pound, pounding that pavement every day and being there. And when you think of the people that are famous on TV now, that's just, or on the, in the movies or whatever, that's just because they were there. They were just persistently there working at it, working at it every day. And uh, that would be the advice I'd give myself. <laughs> yes, your talent is important. That's what you're, that's what you're showing, but it's, it's your persistence is, is makes all the difference. You know, it's funny. My second question was going to be, what advice do you have for people who want to be more creative? But I think we got a two for that. Right. I'm just impressed. <laughs> I'm just impressed that you had that ready to go. Was it just sitting on your desk? I, I, yeah, I put it on my desk because it's it's important. That's it's just such a great quote, and I thought I was so awesome, and I get t- told I'm talented a lot, and, it, and I'm grateful for that. But it's really not about my talent. It's about just getting it out there because I could draw everything better. I could act everything better. I could sing everything better, and, or better yet, somebody else could do it better than I could. That's even more, even more important. Just like McDonald's can definitely make a burger that tastes better, or I guess that's a bad example, right? Who's big now? I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Starbucks can make a more delicious cup of coffee, but it's there, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, everybody, please tune back into part two. Thanks for doing this, Parker. Okay.